everybody to the Sparkler podcast. I believe this is our sixth podcast. Uh, I'm Jill Astley. I'm the finance person for Chromatic, and I'm here today with Lisa. Hello. Yeah, I, I do the web design and head, I guess, the uh, print design and do a lot of the graphics and logos around the site. And Lillian. Hello. I'm our comics editor. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so today we're going to talk about comics generally and more specifically, Jose and Western comics versus manga, uh, a bunch of topics like that. So Lillian, why don't you start? Because you have a sure. good grasp. So I've been a comics reader basically all my life. My next door neighbors when I was growing up had a huge collection of Tintin and Asterix comics um, that their kids had read when they were little. So I just devoured those when I was in sort of elementary school. And that was a really formative part of sort of my comics educational experience. And oddly enough, for whatever reason, my first grade teacher had this comics version of the Dark Crystal movie. It was like the graphic novel adaptation of it. This would have been in like 1988. Was it um, after the movie or before? It like, must have been after the movie, but I actually, I didn't see the movie until like 10 years later, but I loved that comic. probably good because it was frightening very frightening yeah i mean even the comic was like terrifying i mean you're sucking the souls out of people at one point i was like what the but i couldn't put it down it was so great so like someday i should go and track that down and get a copy i'm sure it exists on the internet somewhere or like on ebay but anyway we used to visit some family friends who lived in maine in orono and they had a little like newspaper shop down the street from them that we'd like walk back and forth to just to something to do while we were there. And they had a rack of floppy comics. And so that's kind of what started to get me into Marvel superhero stuff. Like I read a little bit of Fantastic Four and I read a little bit of Spider-Man. I always loved the Tim Burton Batman movies. Like Batman's always been kind of a favorite of mine, although I didn't read a lot of the Batman comics at the time. And then in kind of late elementary school, I got hooked on Excalibur, which kind of brought me into like the X-Men universe and that it was really a formative part of my comics experience. And for a lot of reasons, like looking back on it now, it's a series that has amazing female characters. The cast is about 50% women on average, uh, who all have very different personalities and kind of different backstories and sort of different roles as part of the team. And uh, the art was just fantastic. The fashion design when Alan Davis is drawing is particularly fantastic. I basically wanted to be Kitty Pride when I grew up. Oh, really. she was in that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was she was one of the founding, you know, core team of members was was Kitty Pride to like to the point where I deliberately grew my hair longer in middle school so that I could sort of have her like long, fluffy brown curls. <laughs> so it's astonishing that I've never actually cosplayed her. And then I kind of I got to a point in middle school, which and I, I told the story a lot when I was at Tokyo Pop to kind of talk about why. I became a manga fan, which I thought at the time was like a very typical story is that, you know, there's a couple local comic stores near me. And I, I reached a point probably in seventh or eighth grade when I just stopped being really comfortable being in there. And it's not like there was any one incident where I was like, I don't belong here. There was never, you know, nobody ever really said anything to me. Nobody ever really overtly made me feel unwelcome. But it just it didn't feel like a space that I wanted to be in. And some of it was like my anxiety at the time over being a geek. Like I went to a school that had a lot of really smart kids, but they're all smart kids who spent all their time studying. So like any time that was spent doing something fun and frivolous seemed like, I don't know, you're kind of a failure in some way. And so, yeah, I just, I started getting really uncomfortable about that. And at the time, that's sort of when the internet was starting to come into sort of fandom fruition. And I switched over to being an X-Files fan for a while. And that kind of got me into like internet fandom. And then 
Sailor Moon started airing on Cartoon Network. Um, this is when I was in freshman year in high school, I think. And I'd known about Sailor Moon for a while. And I kind of been interested in this whole like the idea of Japanese animation and like Japanese comics. I knew that they existed, but I hadn't really been exposed to them directly. I started watching Sailor Moon and was like, this show is so dumb. It's just so dumb. <laughs> and I couldn't stop watching it. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know why I'm so into this. She cries all the time and eats all these sweets. And I love it. Um, that really just set me off kind of down the path of manga fandom that led to me becoming a Japanese major and going to Japan a bunch of times in college and then getting my job at Tokyo Pop and kind of the rest is history. It was very much the idea that there were comics that were about girls in a girl safe space. So like the fact, you know, it was a revelation for me by late high school when instead of even going to Newbury comics where I'd been picking up like a lot of my sailor moon stuff before then Newbury comics is a, a local Boston music and pop culture chain. I don't even know if they still exist anymore, but at the time you could get everything from like CDs to pillowcases to comic books all kind of in one place. And I spent a lot of time there when I was in high school. So I was picking up these sailor moon floppies there. And then one day I went into, Barnes and Noble, and suddenly there were five volumes of Sailor Moon on the shelf in the comics section. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, <laughs> now I don't have to be around creepy weirdos anymore. I can mm -hmm. be in like a space that's safe and comfortable for me and buy these really great comics that I'm so excited about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I started, I never started in Western comics. So I feel kind of, I think there's a fairly large contingent of women especially that got into manga or anime pretty independently from mm -hmm. western stuff i mean i watched i always liked cartoons so i would watch mm -hmm. like the old spider-man the old x-men so all of my western comics knowledge is from there but back then it wasn't like fandom wasn't a thing or at least internet fandom wasn't so it's not like i watched them in order or anything it was just like stuff that i watched i started with sailor moon as well that was in high school and then i got into bubblegum crisis was the first mm -hmm. anime that i got you know specifically went out and and looked for mm. and yeah it was like i just saw it in the video store and this was like blockbuster days mm -hmm. this cool picture of a a woman in like a, a mech suit and she was beside a motorcycle and I was like that looks cool I want to watch that and then it just spiraled up from there yeah I didn't really get into comics but it wasn't so much that I didn't want to is because my parents wouldn't let me <laughs> so I never even read Archie comics they didn't really interest me but yeah when I found anime like Sailor Moon even like Dragon Ball. I watched Dragon Ball on Saturday mornings and it's like a shonen, but it had Bulma who was really smart. She didn't care what anybody else thought. She was going to do her own thing. She was like mm -hmm. crazy genius inventor. I don't know. I just felt like the characters were interesting and they would, they would actually have a story, you know, cause mm -hmm. for those that you actually had a plot, whereas X-Men, I loved Rogue, but Mm -hmm. nothing ever happened it felt like which is interesting yeah. now that i'm so now i'm finally getting into western comics mm -hmm. and one of the first things i noticed that at first really confused me even though i knew from other people i'd heard that it was like that that there's no continuity or yeah. there's no you know overarching continuity right i found it or really... continuity keeps rebooting itself every so often yeah and yeah. well but even within an arc like I, w I started with graphic novels that my friends would le lend me mm -hmm. and some of the graphic novels were good like they had you know a story that was going through several issues but some would just kind of jump around so much and I'm like what 
didn't did you ever resolve that because now you're fighting this other guy what happened there mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. huh it was it was really confusing to me yeah i think, I think <laughs> your, your th- like what you just said about bulma is really interesting because it, it really sort of nails something that is different between the two industries which is that even though they both kind of rely on a lot of like cliches of femininity i think manga just has a little bit more of diversity of female presentation mm-hmm. where especially for superhero comics it's kind of like and even to some extent indie comics you're you're a woman and you're identity doesn't really extend much beyond that it's like you're a woman with certain powers and you don't always get you like maybe you get some backstory a little bit but like yeah. there isn't just a lot of variations in how you can be a woman mm-hmm. um whereas even like even sort of like shitty harem manga you know at least you've got like the tsundere character and like the yandere character <laughs> and like the you know joel-san mm-hmm. and even if they're like stupid cliches like it's still a variety of presentations of femininity in a way that I just don't think a lot of superhero books kind of bother with. And it's something that, again, like really worked for me for Excalibur is mm-hmm. that Kitty, Rachel and Megan and then you know later characters coming in Cerise and, and Rain and stuff. They're all very different people with very different backgrounds. And, you know, like I said, kind of the way they function on the team as the team is is really different and it's just it's something that in hindsight i just appreciate more and more yeah it's interesting like even now i'm reading western comics and i go to comic book stores and buy them and everything but i'm not really interested in the main superheroes like batman superman spider-man i'm just like i'm sure their stories are good i'm just not that interested in it and i know there's Mm -hmm. other stuff that i am more interested in birds of prey I, right. I'm kind of collecting those graphic novels. If there was a Black Canary one, I haven't found it yet, but I would totally buy that. I'm only... Actually, it's interesting because I started out with Birds of Prey, so I'm familiar with Black Canary Huntress, Oracle, Batgirl mm-hmm. a little bit. But mm-hmm. Marvel, I tried She-Hulk, but I don't think it was a good one. I think it was during Civil War. Oh, God. Which, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she was like... I think it was because... Iron Man was going on about registering right. them. And I was just like, this is not, no. The whole story was like her her defending a demigod, whatever, superhero, uh-huh. that was accused of raping a woman. And uh-huh. it turned out in the end, I think it got resolved that either she, the woman was lying or it didn't really matter because they, they, it was consensual or something, but it wasn't very clear. It wasn't done very well. And I was like, well, that's gross. I think I'm done with this for a while. Yeah. No more She-Hulk. Um, actually, your comment about like getting into it through animation is, is interesting as well. Cause like, I think that that's the other problem that a lot of Western comics has struggled with is that mm-hmm. the animated properties are a lot more female friendly. And so like getting women to go from enjoying those, which they definitely do mm-hmm. to actually going into a comic book store and picking up a book yeah. is like something that they really struggle with for whatever reasons. Like when DC's new 52 reboot came out, there was a good comic going around the internet that was about, you know, a girl who was a big Starfire fan. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, you know, Starfire is going to be on this like small team and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And I was excited because I like the Red Hood. And you get those first illustrations of her costume design and you're like, yeah, that's not the Starfire that I know from well, it, it wasn't the animated even, like, series. The first, I don't know if it was the first few pages, but th- I think this is from the same yeah. uh, comic. It's like she, yeah. the, one of the first things she does is like go up and ask to have sex with some almost random guy just because. I don't know, like, she almost has no... It was very strangely handled. Like, it was it was a very kind of misguided attempt at, like, sex-positive femininity and, like, Mm -hmm. feminism. And I was just like, "Mm, no. 
when I read no. those pages, I could because I don't know Starfire at all. That was all yeah. I'd read of her, and she just kind of looked empty. So to me, I was like, yeah. is this her? Is that her personality, or is she just indiscriminate? I, mean, I, I think it was attempt to like make her seem alien and like different. Well, she from... looked alien, but she didn't yeah. look like she had a personality. Yeah. Yes. I, I could really rant about, like, DC 52 for a long time. Yeah. I don't think that's really the point. Well, it's um, weird because, I mean, I hear people complain about DC, and, I'm like, the stuff that I like, I kind of don't mind. Although they do a lot of butt shots and all that stupid stuff. But um, Yeah, it's funny, like, I don't know. I feel like after being a manga fan for a long time, like, my tolerance for sort of mild fan service is pretty high. Like, mm-hmm. you really have to be boob armor practically naked for me to be, like... <laughs> something for, to really bother me i, I would think say it's like easier the, for the me because i post- i was never a professional editor so yeah i got to choose what i read all very very heavy shoujo right. very unsexual stuff like dragon ball which yeah. doesn't sexualize the women really it's kind of weird people who don't read it and they see the character designs of that and like one piece are like of course they sexualize them they have these crazy like bombshell bodies and everything and it's like but the way they're handled doesn't feel sexualized the way that a lot like right. if you look at that and then you watch like a moe thing like a fan servicey thing like you'll see the difference you know like in camera angles and everything right. it's one of those things that still bugs me a lot like when i started watching fairy tale i was like so much fan service Mm-hmm. Lisa? Yeah, Lisa. Can you tell tell. us? Uh, Well, I didn't have too much history with comics specifically growing up. I was really into mostly animation as well. I was obsessed with cartoons from as long as I can remember having the ability to sit up in front of the TV. And there was a couple times I remember being really young when I would really like a show. Like, I really loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They're run from, like, the late 80s, early 90s. And we went out to find me a comic, and I don't remember where we got it from, but it was one of the original Turtle comics, which are not meant for children. (laughs) And I remember flipping through it and seeing this one panel where, like, Casey Jones is, like, vomiting in the woods. And I was Oh, God. I was like, whoa, this is so grown up. I can't read this. (laughs) And then I was just kind of like done with comics like that. And it wasn't like I was like scarred or like, oh, no, it's horrible. I was just like, nah, that's not for me. Too gross. Put it away. But like uh, my dad would always read me a graphic novel adaptation of The Hobbit. And I loved that. Because I could never, like, I was too young to read or, frankly, understand the wording in the actual book. So he would read me and my brother the graphic novel adaptation, which I loved. Like, there was so many pictures, like, more pictures than a picture book. So I really liked it. And that kind of got me into then picking up Archie comics. So I used to read those a lot when I was little. Um, and then it was when I was nine years old when Sailor Moon premiered. I got obsessed with Sailor Moon and Pokemon and Digimon and uh, everything like that. And this was kind of like just the beginning of internet. So all the, there wasn't too much out there. And what was out there was probably vastly incorrect. But uh, yeah, it was most about cartoons and, you know, huge Disney. Anything that was a Marvel cartoon, especially mm-hmm. the old X-Men. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just parked in front... Anytime I could be parked in front of the TV watching any cartoon, no matter who it was targeted at, I would be watching it. Um, and then it wasn't until probably early junior high when a friend of mine handed me a copy of Ranma One Half, book one. Yeah. One of and, the ones that falls apart really easily. One of the yeah, ones. one of the, the old ones that, like, the Canadian price at the time was, like, thirty four ninety five. Oh know, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God, it's so horrible. I wasted so much money on those. Sorry. Oh, yeah. Um, and that, it just, it blew my mind. Like, I felt there was breasts in it, so I felt very grown up in junior high reading it. <laughs> Um, but not, like, scared away like I was when I was, like, you know, six reading someone vomiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny, and there were so many characters, and girls were kicking butt, and the art was great, and it was so much of what I guess I wanted and didn't know. Mm-hmm. And plus I was reading, because I was reading a lot of novels. I watched cartoons and read novels. That was my childhood growing up. Mm-hmm. And playing out stories with action figures. Who didn't do that? Um, but yeah, this book kind of like mixed it all together. So of course the very next day I go to her and I'm like, is there more of this? It says number one. So yeah, so we were reading that like from the library and stuff. 
stuff because when you're 13, you don't have exactly money to go buy these $35 books. That's cool. Uh, so then we went to a comic shop for the first time, and they had the old little single chapter copies of Sailor Moon and Card Cadre Sakura that had just started. Uh-huh. And I was over the moon because I was like, oh, my God, this is Sailor Moon. I love this show. Um, and I'd seen on the Internet that it was, like, really different from the comic. Yeah. And, and I remember, Gordon, like, turning and grabbing on my friend and saying, why have you never brought me here before? <laughs> <laughs> and from then on, I was hooked. Like, I got, you know, all the uh, Mix magazine I was subscribed to. And, I, and you know, I had a little pull list there with all the comics that came out. Dragon Knights, Ranma, Inuyasha, Sailor Moon, Cardcaptor Sakura. What was it? Animedia, An America Extra. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Shoujo magazine book, yeah. So and the new types, like anything I could get, I was I was super hooked. So yeah, manga was a really big thing for me then, starting in early junior high. And it was wasn't really until I got to probably uh, early high school that I started getting more into Western comics. And that was just because I tried to get into some of them before, but I just couldn't figure out where to start. Like nothing, yeah. nothing matched the cartoon to me. Nothing, yeah, right. none of the characters it's like were the, the same. perennial problem. I think with Western comics, it's yeah. like the unsolvable paradox and i think yeah like, and and again i didn't really actually, care i was gonna say like you know and like many other things in my life i was like oh well, that kind of sucks but i wasn't really upset about it i just moved on because i was pretty happy with manga but i was what i would do for years is i would just follow all the plot lines on like wikipedia or like websites because i love the characters and i loved all these plot lines that were coming and you know going and who was doing this so i had all this comics knowledge but i n- never read the comics because i just really funny i didn't there were too, too many of them i couldn't buy them all but like these yeah. characters i'm were surprised really cool. you could keep them straight without a visual well, it helped when I had friends who, like, you know, we would look at pictures online, we'd oh. print them out and cover our binders with them and talk about them all the time. But yeah, like, as for actually, like, holding comics, it was like, never. Yeah. Yeah, and then mid-high school is when I went into another comic shop that, the one I actually work in today, Strange Adventures, and, like, they had so much more stuff than the previous one I was going to. And the other play- place was nice. It was run by one guy, and he was totally fine. Um, But this one was run by multiple people, some were girls, and they were just so welcoming. Like, I went in there, and it was just like, you could talk to them about anything. And when you're, like, a teenager, and you're talking to these adults who talk to you, like, just one of them mm-hmm. like it felt so like a little family so i love going there we went there like every week um and then slowly i started picking up random single comic issues that they'd have like featured or on the rack because um, i felt like at that time early 2000s there was this new arc in storytelling where i found it was getting more the art was getting a little more simple it was more colors like it just seemed way more teenage oriented and less mm. just super dark so i started collecting them then and then from then on i was like on and off obsessively manga still like forever and always um and then comics on and off, continuing mostly just reading the storylines online and following them. Mm-hmm. And then probably in the last like two years, I started collecting a whole bunch of series and following them and then buying all the singles and trading them in for the books. And now I work at the comic store, so I just try to read everything I can get my eyeballs on. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I have like, it's just, it's overwhelming how many comics are out there and I just want to read all of them. Okay, well, not all of them, but like I follow a lot of Marvel series, a lot of DC series and anything I don't follow reading wise because it doesn't catch my interest, I still follow up on what the plot is, especially where these days so much is connected. So it's like, oh, you're reading this series. Well, now you have to read these two issues from a totally different series to follow what's going on. I was actually wondering this. Is there somewhere, a site or something that will tell you, in this arc, it goes in this order and have all the different series and the issues that has that? Like, I know sometimes they they do it on the spine or whatever. They'll have, like, crisis on Infinite Earths or whatever. So you could track it like that. But if I'm looking at Comixology or whatever, it's hard to go through all those. I don't know of any specific website. I mean, I find I do that a lot even now i go to google and i'm like 
reading order for yeah. Green Lantern in like 1999 because I'm just like it connects all these different series um, and usually there's a whole bunch of like you know fan made Wikipedias and different websites that will list it for you but you really have to kind of know what you're looking for you're like I want to read yeah. this character I want to read everything that follows this character and it will kind of tell you okay well you want to read this chunk of this series then you want to jump and read these issues of this series and well I actually did search for that because I wanted okay, I'm, I'm a romance person and one of the ones I was looking for is Batgirl and Robin. Mm-hmm. So I looked up romance with Batgirl and Robin. I was like, there's nothing that just lists those issues. But I did get some of the oldest, like when Batgirl first appeared in like 1965 wow. or 8 or something. They had some on com- Comixology, so I bought those. And then I was at the comic book store a couple of days ago and I got the one of those cheap black and white big books. The essentials? They, yeah, like it's called Showcase. Ah, uh, yes. Oh. Yeah, those are the DC Showcase. Yeah, I, it said it collects all the early bad girl appearances, so I bought that, and it was pretty. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it's I like, actually feel like I forget if there's a Bat Girl Year One as well as like a Robin Year One. I think. Does um, that? I'm not sure what that means. Does that mean it's actually their first appearances, or is it? No, because you don't necessarily want their first appearances because a lot of the time, like they don't really get the romance until later writers sort of take them over. Mm-hmm and like actually start rewriting stuff. Yeah. The year ones were done years after the characters originally appeared, sometimes decades. Are but they're they kind of like stories? retelling that origin story. Okay. They're they're retellings. I mean that this is the bonkers thing about <laughs> <laughs> superhero comics is that they never get tired of retreading origin stories. Yeah. So and I think that those those are gonna have a little bit more of a modern sensibility for one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Although and... you know I'm surprised at how much I like the old ones. Like oh, I think it was because you know they have a little bit of edit tutorial as well and um, mm. they were saying that when Batgirl first appeared it was kind of in response or whatever because they'd had Batwoman and they'd had some other girl I can't remember that mm-hmm. just wasn't popular you know they were always the damsels in distress or whatever so they made Batgirl who's, who was like not interested in Batman romantically at all she was just like new you know like 60s feminist woman kind of thing like doing mm. her own thing but not, not burning her bra but like she was just doing her own thing and it was it was really good. Like I like them. I don't know. I like I like it a lot. That's interesting. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. Yeah. Um yeah, as for your question about like how to figure out continuity, like when I was collecting Excalibur, it's, you know, 1993 probably. So it's 3 or 4 years before I got home internet access and I'd have to rely on, you know, you get to a point where something is referred to and there'll be a little editor's note at the bottom that's like, editor says this shows up in X-Men volume whatever. And then I'd like go back to my store and like go find X-Men volume whatever and Mm -hmm. like pick that up. And then there would be a reference in that to some other event with like editor's note volume whatever and you'd go find that and so it's this kind of like never-ending chain of like picking up random issues to fill in that bit of continuity well that's um, if the comic book stores have them right because they don't it's not like they could yeah. possibly have everything right yeah I, and i was right? i mean i was also excalibur had been running for four or five years by the time that i started reading it so like the x-men things that they were referring back to were issues that were four or five years old so i'm paying extra for them too even if they have them so, like, it was this balance of, like, what do I spend my babysitting money on? The new issue or this $10 back issue? Mm-hmm. That's one thing that I find, like, comics are a lot easier to get into these days. One, because they're yeah. reprinting a lot of the old stuff yeah. in, in linear format, like, by story. Yeah. Um, in yeah. books that are cheaper to get instead of hunting down all these back issues. Mm-hmm. Really right. old back issues are pretty much just a collector's thing right now. Mm-hmm. With yeah. a couple exceptions, you don't really need them to 
catch up on old stories because they are reprinting so much. And I find one of the really big turning points in reading comic books, especially for me kind of catching up on slightly older stuff or like, you know, the first chunk of whatever comic series is running now, is they're mm-hmm. finally, both DC and Marvel, numbering the books. Yes. Yeah. And this seems like a really obvious concept. And I don't know if this was helped a lot because of the big manga boom or what, but like in the late 90s and early 2000s where I was it kind was of starting to get into it, they weren't numbered. You yeah, had to open right. every book. They had very nice spine designs, all different with a little subtitle, you know, Batman with a title or whatever. But you'd have to open the book and, and look at the copy. Yeah. Look at the copyright right. section. And in teeny tiny font in the copyright section, which you still have to do now for all the same books, you would say collects issues 34 to, you know, right. 42. Right. And you're like, okay, and there's no indication anywhere else in the book what order to read them in. Now you've got number one, mm-hmm. two, three, four. And on the very back, at least Marvel, they have on the back of the book yeah, what shoes it collects. Because sometimes they do collect, like, a random issue from another series because it ties mm. in so directly. I feel uh, like it might have been So much manga. easier to jump in. Like, I feel like it might have been at least influenced by manga. Because I remember when they first started doing those old graphic novels around the, the really old crap, like Tenchi Muyo. That's why I say crap. Um, <laughs> other things. And at first, they didn't have numbers either. They would be like, or mm. what was it, um, X? At first, they didn't number them. And people were like, uh, hello. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. They, they had the just, funny subtitles. Yeah. And everybody was like, this obviously doesn't work for this story because right. it goes in a very obvious order. Like what's going yeah. on? So then they finally started doing it. And I, maybe, I remember, I remember that like some of the inside covers would even say, read like this title and then in yeah. this order, but it would give you their subtitle. So like serenade and then read, you know, transcendence or whatever they were or something fancy. Yeah. Like, I wonder if the early comics editors were, they were used to Western comics, so they didn't put numbers. And then everybody was like, what are you doing? Because they weren't yeah. comics readers, at least a lot of them weren't. So they expected order. <laughs> They expected logic. And there's also a really big difference, too, in the way that um, manga is told versus comics, um, which is in, in a lot of different ways. But one of them is in Western comics, you have a lot of stor- different story arcs that are completely different. They just happen to start the same character all under the same banner. So you could be reading, I'm going to use Batman again, like Batman number 1 mm-hmm. to 30 might be one thing. But then when you get to like issue 36, like right now, they just recently changed the creative teams on a bunch of titles at issue 36. It's completely different. You can start it from a number one. And so that kind of influenced the way they used to release books, where you would buy the book that is just the story arc or the creator that you liked so they could treat it kind of like a one shot even though in many cases you could still read it in a full linear order Um, but with manga you have in almost every case the same writer the same artist if not the same person and one ongoing story from chapter one all the way to the very end is one ongoing story and that is 100% something that appealed to me about manga as I was switching over. So, like, again, my background was with Tintin and Asterix, which are, you know, single creator, single creative teams kind of mm-hmm. running for years and years and decades. And it really wigged me out with comics. Like, I don't I don't even really like it very much when the cover art is different from the interior art. Like, I'll pick up the mm-hmm. occasional variant cover, but that's something that, like, honestly kind of wigs me out. And, like, I started to lose interest in Excalibur when they started mixing up the creative teams. Like, Warren Ellis came on board, and I liked his run a lot, but kind of in between between that and then after that, I was just like, I'm not interested in what these other people are doing. I, I think given my discomfort with a comic book store in general, like it's time to kind of move on to new fandoms. And so the idea of having one person really behind a story from start to finish and the idea that the story has a start and a finish, like even things like Dragon Ball or, or mm-hmm. Naruto that run for 50, 100 volumes or whatever, you know, they do eventually come to an end with very few exceptions. Yeah. And I think that, that there's something really appealing about that. So even if they have five volumes of 
endless one-on-one battles in the middle of that mm-hmm. like at the end there's there's a finish. yeah at the end there's usually some sort of resolution mm-hmm. and there's there's some sort of overall arc that has happened yeah i just i find that so much more appealing in a lot of ways just um, having a, just having a clear place to start though like it's such yeah. a like if you, <laughs> if so you nice. are not if you are not into something like you've never read it before you're not going to generally like first impression you're not going to be like okay well where do i start well i guess i'm going to have to go right. home yeah. and wiki this character and look up this right. and find out what artist mm-hmm. worked where and what writer Right. Go, no, you just want something with the number one on it. And that's right. why I think, for, especially for younger readers, manga is such, it's the way bigger draw. Mm-hmm. Much yeah. bigger. Because if you're curious about it, you know exactly where to start. Yeah. I guess they are doing better now with like the compiled issues and everything. But yeah, if I'm in a in a general bookstore, and there's I'm in the comics section, like, if I see a manga series that has a number one, two, three, four, five, I know exactly where to start with Batman, there's like maybe 30 volumes that they have. Some are numbered, some aren't. I don't know where to go. Like, what? There's different series. Like, which Batman do you want? Yeah. You don't even know what's good. Like, you know, maybe I tried that one She-Hulk. Probably there's a She-Hulk that I would really enjoy, but it's not that one. So I don't know where to go now. Right. Oh, I was just going to make a small note, too. When I went to Japan um, for my year of study there, I noticed that the TV is like that as well. Like, it kind of blew my mind. Now, everybody knows about it, but, like, J-dramas are usually 11, 12, 13 episodes because it's, like, mm-hmm. half a year. And mm-hmm. then they stop. And it's a very clear arc, whatever. And I was like, whoa, this is crazy because I was used to sitcoms. Mm-hmm. You know, sitcoms and then the occasional miniseries. Right. But now, it's like, that's been kind of taken into Western uh, media as well. And you have, like... You know, Sherlock, I don't know, right. Downton Abbey. You have, like, fall finales and blah, blah, blah. Like, even within stories that are longer, they'll right. have, like, clear arcs. And, you know, I, I wonder if that was influenced by Asia in general because, you know, Korean drama does it too. No, that's coming from the cable model. It's coming from sort of the FX and AMC and HBOs of the world that do those sort of 12-ish uh, episode stories for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think that... that it's such a good it's such a good way to tell a story though. If you really care about making a yeah. good story that has like mm-hmm. you know, a good arc and everything, it's just I don't know why they didn't think of it sooner. Well, I think they did, but I mean the the T V business model and this is probably true with comics too to some extent is your goal for a long time was to do 100 episodes so that then it could be sold into syndication mm. and then it would just play forever on TNT or TBS or whatever. Yeah, out of order um, maybe, right? Out of order <laughs> or like just repeating forever and ever and all eternity. So like a lot of TV series, particularly sitcoms, were kind of designed to have that kind of somewhat unchanging and, and renewable cycle of story and character because they're meant to kind of be viewed in syndication rather than as this smaller narrative arc. And I think, you know, maybe some of it it just depends a little bit on what kind of content you're looking for. For everybody who says that they really like the miniseries format, I think there's people who just want to sit down with something like Law and & Order and kind of turn their brain off for 20 to 40 minutes. And mm-hmm. doesn't matter which episode you're watching, you're going to get a pretty comparable experience. Yeah. And so like, I wonder if in some ways that's part of the business model that comics or uh, superhero comics is fighting with as well, is the idea if, if you like Batman as a character, you want certain things to happen and for each individual issue to be exciting but there's a disincentive to change things too much because then you lose that kind of comfort factor mm-hmm. or that eternally renewable factor i don't know which is like it's i can see where why people that would appeal to them but like from a personal level it's just so uninteresting to me as a storytelling mo- well i guess motive. that's why they also do the reboots so, right because they right they do stuff in an 
arc or a series, whatever. And eventually they have to do something big because they have to keep amping up the action, amping up the stakes and everything. And then eventually right. it's like, now it's changed too much from the source material. So we have to bring it back because yeah. otherwise this will be like a totally different story. Batman will, I don't know, be married or something. And you can't right. have that. So no. <laughs> let's reboot. Yeah, but, but one of the really big weird things about reboots and like there's... Like, for example, there's uh, two really big events coming up for DC and Marvel. Um, they're pretty yeah. much doing almost the exact same thing at the exact same time this year, where they're going to have um, kind of go back to a lot of their characters, either from different universes or from pre-New 52 at DC, and then revisit a bunch of old characters, old plots, old concepts in some different ways. But one thing that always gets me about these reboots, just like with DC and their New 52, is they always say, oh, well, it's to start fresh. You're going to get a slightly new take on a character, but still classic mm-hmm. for the current fans, and then new readers can jump in. But they never advertise to new readers they say oh this is going to help new readers have a place to jump in i'm like yeah but how how are you getting to those new readers you're still just targeting the same people yeah right so yeah okay if you have a new reader who's going to jump in okay yes now you have a number one from this new story and if they want they can go back and read the old stuff but they don't have to that's fine and good but they're not like i just don't see any real effort to get them in and right now i think there's just a lot of reliance on the movies it's like you love the movies okay well they'll find the comics they'll know where to go They'll know where to go. I'm like, well, maybe the internet yeah. too. Like now, they expect people to kind of look it up on the internet, find out where to start. I don't consume that much media, anyways. But I don't think comics are ever advertising anywhere saying, "Hey, start this." Or like even on the web, I never see like ads saying, "Want to get into Batman?" You know, like try this issue yeah. or something. That's a good point. It yeah. is still kind of a very closed system where it's like you have to sort of already be in these in order to, you know, even know that there's something going on that yeah. might be a good jumping off point. If yeah. you weren't already interested in comics, I have no idea how you would hear about any of these hmm. things. And even the movies, like that might make someone interested in looking at it, but it's not like you would understand what's happening in the comics like because it's not like right. they make the movies the same which i'm glad for well I they're making more it. of an effort to do that now apparently so like i haven't actually read the guardians of the galaxy comics but i've gotten the impression that after that movie came out they made a very big effort to bring that series more in line with like the movie continuity because they had so much mm-hmm. crossover going on so or like crossover fan attention so but yeah i mean it just it seems like such a no-brainer and yet they again they just don't do it very well so well i wonder <laughs> but, i mean i think just... i think they're getting better like i think that that's yeah that's clearly something that like the editorial teams and their directive with you know both of these new reboots that are going on they're they're finally shifting in that direction like i wonder if the teams at the big two anyways they're just so i don't know close like comics is its own thing they don't think about doing cross-media things other than you know the movies that they do themselves I, i remember it made me think of i think it was in the early 2000s when there was all this, like, oh, we're doing, like, manga-style Spider-Man. We're doing manga-style blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> they still go back I and do like, that occasionally. <laughs> oh, really? I was like, what's kind going of, on? Yeah. And, like, didn't DC supposedly say they were going to hire, like, female creators to do stuff like that, but then nothing happened or it didn't go well or something? I don't know. Uh, there was kind that, of a... Funny, I was uh, actually... They did, they did have a thing called um, uh, Minx, I believe it was. was yeah, an I think that was Is it. that what you were thinking of? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was an imprint. Really... Like, and they had some good stuff in there, but... But there wasn't a whole lot of editorial, like, over... Like, they, they didn't really... The vibe in all of them wasn't really good. Some of them weren't so great. Were um, it new characters or, ex- or existing? It, it, it didn't have any... If it, if it is Mink, yeah, it didn't it was... have any connection to their comics at all. They were literally oh. just trying to make independent graphic novels 
for women. Oh, yeah. Younger women. For younger women that were like, they were like an alternative to manga. And it's like, well, that's an interesting idea, but I don't think you're understanding what women are getting out of manga mm-hmm. and you're not doing a very good job of offering a substitute. Mm-hmm. So like it felt like sort of just indie comics that sort of had female characters and like some of them were good and some of them weren't that good. But like mm-hmm. that seemed to be the only thing they really had in common was they were black and white and for girls. Yeah. So. And, they, and they gave them really shallow marketing on that ground. It's like, well, if you're a lady, then you want to read this. Yeah. Kind of. See, it's funny because I I remember reading about it, but I never saw any ads for it. <laughs> like I read about right. people blogging about how it wasn't good and everything, but I never actually saw an ad anywhere. And if it was like the the two thousands or whatever, that was when I was like reading mass media shit, like Cosmopolitan and stuff. Like and yeah, I mean that's the like, thing is that like advertising in a place like Cosmopolitan is so prohibitively expensive. Yes, there's there isn't really a good solution to that, which actually kind of skews us over to the Jose. <laughs> <laughs> the Jose line of dialogue because, mm-hmm. you know, Tokyo Pop and different companies over the years have made varying and different attempts at kind of bringing in older comics for women. Mm-hmm. So like Shoujo is obviously hugely popular and drove a ton of the manga boom. But the next step up from that has never gotten a really good toehold in the United States. And I've got a lot of different ideas for like why that's the case. And I'm not sure it's an entirely solvable problem. But like one of the really obvious things is just the places that you would potentially go to to advertise something that is was once described as like sex in the city comics, basically, mm-hmm. you know, it costs $100,000 to take out a page you know to do like a full page ad there and no comic book publisher has anything close to that like the marketing budget of a single single title even like multiple titles that was a real that was a real problem i remember i actually interviewed for to take a job at aurora publishing in their sort of short-lived time doing i don't do you guys remember aurora who is um they did like do i have everything they put out do you really Anyway, they tried to poach me at one point and <laughs> made me a very good offer. But like I was talking to the woman who was going to head it up and she's like, yeah, we want to do like bus advertisements on the side of buses to like promote stuff. And I was like, that's a really interesting idea. But do you have any idea how much that's going to cost? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's a really tough problem of how to get that content out to just even sort of in front of potential readers. Yeah, I think um, maybe now at least we have internet and we have sites for female geeks and like adult female geeks, like the right. Mary Sue and things like that. But right. they didn't have those back then. No, and it's there's, true. Yeah, there's like, this also comes back to Western comics. There's almost nowhere for adult female geeks to go like it's because comics like superhero comics are pretty heavy male like they're they're trying to branch out now but back in the 90s 2000s i never thought that women read like marvel and dc stuff because all the characters that i saw even when i worked at a comic book store mm-hmm. it was always just guys and then girls with like you know perfect hourglass shapes like shoving their butts and boobs at the same mm. time into your face so i'm like obviously adult women wouldn't read this so what do they read like and i think that's kind of left over from uh is it somebody told me a story once i it was somebody from the beguiling and we were driving home from like a, a convention and they were telling about how comics used to be a lot more diverse you know a lot mm. more storylines whatever and then i don't know if it was the comics code authority or whatever like if it was that or if it was just that they ran out of money so they started cutting back whatever and what was left after everything was just superhero comics. Mm. And that's something that Western comics never really, it hadn't branched out from since then. Whereas manga does, right? Like it has 
slice of life comics. It has, yeah, it has just. I think there's a lot comics. of reasons for that. Actually, like I think I went to a panel at pretty sure it was Comic Con last year that was about romance comics in like the 60s and 70s, right? Which was really interesting. Although it was kind of like it was a bunch of people who were probably 20 years older than I was, who like yeah. I think were actually reading these comics at the time. Mm-hmm. Well, they're the only ones that can f- remember them because they're nowhere now, right? No, it's true. And like they were sort of talking with this interesting nostalgia about this this market. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the reasons why it died was like a combination of consolidation on the part of like the big companies. So it's like DC and Marvel both were sort of companies that grew out of smaller companies and like absorbed other comics publishers along the way and a switch in the distribution model. So like the idea that, you know, when I was a kid and was in Maine and was picking up comics at a newsstand in Orono, you can't do that anymore. Like that mm-hmm. business model doesn't exist. Yeah. And I think that it, it had been dying for a long time. And like your ability to just walk up to a place on the street and, and pick up comics there, not doing that and kind of switching to like the comic book store model. I think that quashed a lot of diversity of the industry along the way because mm-hmm. it just it started limiting your audience. Like the only people mm-hmm. who are going to go out of their way to go to that comic book store, people are kind of already into it. You don't have that stumble upon factor like, oh, I'm picking up a newspaper paper i'll pick up archie for my kids while i'm at it or you know this carlton romance comic for my wife or whoever yeah well, um, i mean archie is actually i think the only comic book that you can still get at like grocery stores right convenience stores whereas everything else is like yeah comic book stores only but that's another difference between japan is like you can go into a convenience store and buy like you know shonen jump ribbon margaret right. whatever yeah and i think that that's part of what keeps that the diversity of the industry mm-hmm. there is just the accessibility factor yeah have either of you read like naruto all the way through I've avoided any okay. Naruto, actually. I love the first maybe 25 volumes of Naruto. I think it's a brilliant comic. Hmm. And then it started to get into like this arc where all of the people who had been killed in like the first half of the series started coming back again. And I was oh. like, what the fuck? This is like Western superhero stuff. And it's exactly <laughs> what I'm not interested in. Mm-hmm. It's like when death no longer has consequences. Right. Other than like making your characters upset for a couple pages. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that started to really bother me. I've been meaning to kind of go back and finish reading the series. So like, I don't want to make make it seem like the continuity and sort of instability problem is is just unique to western because i think there's certainly times in japan where they've they've done stuff like that Mm -hmm. well i think uh, it might be getting worse too because my impression when i was there which was like 99 2000 mm. the really successful really long comics i mean you had ones that were more sitcom like like um that police box one that nobody here knows whatever the what that was like 80 volumes long oh yeah whatever 99 katsushikaku yeah the really long which i only know about because so, <laughs> and they um, have, you know, like glass mask, whatever. Uh, there right. was a couple really long running ones, but all the other ones were like max 30, 40 volumes. Like Dragon Ball was like 42. And that was like one of the most popular ever. Like Slam Dunk was 31. And now it's just kind of stretching more and more and more. Mm. One piece is into the 70s or 80s. I can't remember. Mm. Um, now, do you know how many volumes there are now? Oh, man. I should know because I was just looking at the, the last one in, in Kino Kuniya yesterday. I was mm. debating buying it probably around seven. Yeah, and I think like Bleach is 60. I can't remember if that's finished yet. Okay, but the manga that goes on too long, a big part of that is just these days there's way more company faith in a property than a creator. And so you have a lot of cases mm-hmm. where a title will get very popular, and even though the creator wants to end it, mm-hmm. then it's is like, yeah. yeah, they're like, no, you have to keep it going. We yeah. don't know that your next title is going to sell like this one. Like Bleach, I used to love Bleach. Mm-hmm. Now it's a joke in itself. Every, mm-hmm. sto- every story arc is the exact same as the last one. Mm-hmm. He's just got different characters, like with different clothes, doing the same thing to the same people. Mm-hmm. And the, even the fight scenes 
things are kind of happening in the same order. And it's like, you, you get this, then there's no life, there's no humor. I just get the feeling that maybe he just wanted to end it a long time ago. And I have heard mm-hmm. stuff like that from creators, Shonen or Shoujo. You're reading interviews after the fact, and they're like, yeah, yeah I didn't want to keep that going, but they made me. And I didn't have mm-hmm. the, you know, power. I wasn't yeah. popular enough to say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And well, even when it, they are, like Toriyama Akira was like, I'm not... F- I'm not doing more of this. It's done. And then they were like, okay, can we like buy it off you or something? So now mm. they did Dra- Dragon Ball GT, which was not related to anything he wrote at all. And he's like, and it, well. And it was terrible. But yeah. that was, and that's more faith in the property than him. They thought they could have Dragon Ball without him. Yep. They're mm-hmm. like, people People don't want you. They don't want your humor. They don't want your art. They just want Dragon Ball. Yeah. And yes, for mm. some people, that's true. But for the people who are going to buy everything Dragon Ball related, they're not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. They know what, what it is. And it's not going like. to last, right? Like, you won't have that love for the title and for the characters and everything because it just kind of peters out you know well, like, you, you can tell when the creator doesn't really care anymore yeah. like they're just pumping out another page because they still have to make this quota right and i'm not saying that's the case for all of them for mm-hmm. every any long series by any stretch but a lot of it is just corporate caring about the property yeah um, and that's what you see that even more so and kind of always have in western comics especially in the last 20 years you see how fast they switch between creators, mm. artists, writers, because they don't really care about the vibe that this writer gave the character. Mm-hmm. They don't really care about how who this art style appealed to. They're just like, we want more Spider-Man, so we're mm-hmm. going to get new people to come in and continue Spider-Man's story. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like today with the internet and Western comics, you're getting a lot more focus on writers and artists yeah. again. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And a big part of that is companies like Image, who lets them own their own stuff. Like they still own the rights, right. and they have a lot of editorial, like pretty much full control. And then you're getting the young audiences getting really connected to who these creators are. So when you have title reboots like um, Batgirl, um, mm-hmm. drawn by like Babstar, or like Unbeatable Squirrel Girl that Marvel's doing, uh, written by Ryan North, who did like Adventure Time comics, mm-hmm. people get really hooked on this vibe or this person or this feeling this look and i find because of that you're seeing creative teams stick around a bit longer than they used to and so it's kind of like in manga i'm seeing more of a shift to properties over people um mm. i'm just i'm really grateful for the most part it hasn't translated into switching up creative teams unless you have like a big franchise like you know alice in the country of hearts or something whereas in the in the west i find i'm like i'm seeing a little more stability in creative teams like if they're popular mm. enough they want this creative teams even if they take them off a title you might see the same two working on something else Right, together. Right. I was saying, so I said switch happening. Japan is going more one way and the West is going another, kind of like switching mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about specifically comics aimed at women and sort of like Jose. And I can start by saying, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. So the first time that I ran into Leanne was actually through Smile Magazine back in the day because she did an interview with Stu Levy when she was writing the Sailor Moon novels. And I read it and I was like, oh my God, there's someone who's the same age as me, like 17, who's working for this company. <laughs> and then five years Years later, she was working for me as a freelancer. But in the interim, she had been running a fan site called Sleep is for the Week. And when I was the president of my anime club in college, I used Sleep is for the Week as a lot of like review and reference for sort of what we should get for the club. And one of her articles was about how much she loved Peach Girl. Um, she was like, this series is kind of a clusterfuck at times, but it has some really great stuff in it. And one of the first things I did at Tokyo Pop was they were reprinting Peach Girl flopped right to left because the original printing was left to write and then with kind of like a fixed translation and like our, our regular trim size and so I was working on it and 
And I really fell in love with it, too. Like, it's definitely kind of shoujo soap opera, you know, nonsense. But, like, it's, it's great art. It has really fun characters. Like, the emotions are really convincing. I had I really enjoyed it. And it was one of the first times when I sort of realized ways in which my kind of uh, internal misogyny was sort of kicking in. And that I was very scornful of things that seemed, like, quote, unquote, just to be romance for teenagers. And that kind of, like, normal high school girl kind of romance story was something that I was kind of actively disinterested in for a long time, even though I liked things with female protagonists and was like very kind of excited about that. I actually, I like romance stories too. So like I was always a Jane Austen fan. I like kind of the smarter rom-coms, like contemporary rom-coms, but something about like that teenage audience really put me off for a while, Uh, like the realistic teenage audience. And that kind of translated to Jose comics for me as well. So like even after I got into Peach Girl and kind of gave teen soap operas another chance, it took me a long time to kind of want to give adult soap operas a chance. And I wonder if like that's part of why those haven't succeeded very much is that one of the reasons why I did eventually get into them and did kind of like them was just because I was constantly exposed to manga and eventually you get a little sick of like the teenage romance story and like mm-hmm. you want something that's a little closer to kind of the life that you're living now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I... I don't even know how I... I think it was just when I went to Japan, I started buying all the different magazines that I could just because I was amazed that they were all there, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I was used to, uh, I used to go to Tower Records in Toronto the few times I visited and mm-hmm. they would actually sometimes have like a ribbon or a shonen jump and I would be like, what? And I would buy them and that was amazing to me. So when I went to Japan and there's like 40 or 50 different manga magazines on the rack at one time, it just blew my mind. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Japan, I had already been into ribbon, which is like grades four to six girls, okay? It's not exactly mature audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got more into like, I kind of moved my way through the different age groups and magazine groups that they had there. Although I still, you know, went back and read stuff from earlier groups. So when I went, got up to like um, the older teenage groups, it, even then it was a big leap to go to the Jose stuff, which is like you, young you. Um, mm. Yeah, stuff like Happy Mania. Mm-hmm. Um, gee, I can't even think of other stories that people would know here. But like, it's it's obvious like the different feeling between like high school set manga for girls and working world or even some of the university ones for mm. women. The difference in outlook is such a change that mm. it's, it's mm-hmm. hard. And a lot of even in Japan, like a lot of almost every girl reads manga when mm-hmm. she's growing up but not that many read it when they're adult. They won't read, like, Mm -hmm. Jose anyways. They'll still Mm -hmm. read, like, Shonen Jump. But it's really interesting. Like, in Western comics, maybe if we had kept that diversity, maybe they would be more open to Jose. Mm. I don't know. I really feel like they don't know what to do, Mm -hmm. and they don't know how to find good ones. Like, I have... Actually, it might help, because some of the ones that I've been interested in and I really enjoyed were ones that were made into dramas. Mm. And with that, maybe you could do a linkage, but they're still, you know, Japanese dramas. So, unless... Somebody is already interested in watching J dramas. They're not gonna right, get right. a connection. Honestly, I think that the word is stigma. I think it's a comic book graphic novel stigma. I think mm-hmm. the story, the stories being told, and a lot of Jose, like Miyoka Ano's mm-hmm. stuff. Right. I think that that is the audience that is women reading novels is huge. Yes, that is an industry that is massive, and most people don't talk about mm-hmm. it because it's kind of always yeah. been really big. These are the same people who would read these Jose titles. These stories mm-hmm. is meant for that audience. But anytime anyone sees something that's a comic or manga, if they even know the term or yeah. an mm-hmm. anime, they think of kids. They think of kids. Mm-hmm. Stuff. They yeah. don't want their friends who they talk to about books or share books or talk about what books they read to know they read a comic book. Mm -hmm. It just, it doesn't even occur to them that this could be for them. And
And even if they are told it could be for them, they don't want other people to know that they're reading comics. Mm-hmm. You need, comics need to be put out there so people can, like, if a person just reads one, they read one and they're like, wow, this is not what I expected. This is mature. Mm-hmm. This is adult. One thing I used to say to friends, and I was half joking, but half serious, is I would love to get a title, maybe one of Vertical's Jose Manga, and again, I say Monica Ano's stuff is great, like in clothes called Fat or mm-hmm. um, things like that, is to get on, like, we can't do it now because it's not on anymore, but like at the time to have gotten on like Oprah, like to be an Oprah right. chosen book for her to read right. it and hold yeah. it up to her millions and millions of viewers and say, this is legitimate. This is great. This right. is talking to you. This is a medium that is completely capable of telling you a story just as heartfelt as a novel. Mm-hmm. The fact that mm-hmm. it has pictures does not diminish it. You watch movies and don't think they're for kids and they have moving pictures. Mm-hmm. A comic should not be any different. And I think stigma is honestly the biggest thing because it takes away the power of word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's definitely a big factor, but also the Jose that I've seen, and I don't know the whole breadth, but a lot of them are Moyoko Anno. I didn't read that when I was reading Jose in Japan because it was still pretty not out there, but like ex- exaggerated, whatever. I liked the like everyday, like one of my favorites was a woman who riches to rags story and mm. then she discovers that she has a talent in like cooking or whatever and then she builds up and like there's a romance whatever and it's very normal but the pictures are actually nice well like, yeah, i don't no, want to say like that's, that's actually I, a big factor so like i think particularly the, the manga audience in the united states is definitely very superficial when it comes to art like yeah. they want stuff that is pretty objectively pretty yeah and that goes well, for also, both shonen and shoujo and i think that like a lot of the jose that's being brought over and a lot of the jose that's out there is mm-hmm. a lot rougher a little more experimental like it looks more like what we think of as indie comics so mm. well i mean even i was really surprised when kawahara Kazune's, um like high school mm. debut came over because i love her stories but her art is not at least well, i like, don't think she's she's hugely successful for what it's worth <laughs> yeah like i mean she's and she's even gotten better like when i was reading yeah, her early yeah. stuff and like sensei and whatever like well some of it looks like too much like real people and then some of it is like right. looks odd yeah but um, i love her yeah i i agree that i think she's like her skill is really not her art. yeah it's her stories so, right like once you right. get into it you're like this is amazing but right but i was even surprised that she got a story over here jose is like and some of the stuff that the, i've seen in jose brought over here i'm like that's not really it doesn't seem like it would have wide appeal to me and i don't know if i'm wrong i mean the people that are likely to pick up a Jose manga are right. probably the people that are more interested in indie type stuff anyways, but I feel like like Oprah would never pick an Anno Moyoko comic and say this, look, this is for you. She might right. pick up one of the other ones that's like this is a normal life. You know, maybe it talks about family drama with like in-laws or something like that. With like, Yeah, keep in mind I'm also speaking about from a very limited library like Jose. There is not a right. huge amount of Yeah, I know. Like, yeah. If I was to pick something to hand to someone like, you know, like Oprah, maybe I'd probably go for something like a Fumio Oshinaga title or something that I right, I right. but yeah. but even yeah, Fumio so Oshinaga is not really like a great draftsman. Like, yeah, that's not, really yeah. not only are we pulling from a small library, but it's also a cycle. We're not getting a whole lot of titles that I think might feel more appropriate to a wide audience here because that wide audience doesn't exist yet yeah. until you get the yeah. big and like, they're not going to get titles for the audience but until but the audience has to read what we already have and what we right. already have caters a lot to an audience that has grown up I think we get a lot of uh, Mike, like I like Megana's titles but I feel mm-hmm. like we're getting a lot of them because her work has been around via Tokyo Pop and stuff for a while right. and she's right. had like shoujo series like Sugar Sugar Ruin so mm-hmm. younger readers grew up on her mm-hmm. same with right. Fumi Yoshinaga I think we got some of um, their Jose mostly because they did Boys Love mm-hmm. um, and 
And so people suddenly wanted to read everything. So the Jose we're even getting is still targeted at who used to be younger readers. Right. It's interesting, though, because Viz has done some stuff that's not, I don't think, maybe people don't automatically think of it as Jose, but they definitely have, like, romance comics for older readers that Mm -hmm. they've been doing lately. And I think they've been pretty successful. So, like, and I think it fits into what you were saying, Jill, that they're a little more, like, conventionally attractive, a little more sort of, like, familiar sort of romance stories. I have Um, to look those up, though, because I didn't even know. (laughs) Honestly, though, I would also argue that that is less about Viz catering to an older audience and more about younger audiences craving older material. No, I agree. Like, I don't think that that was, you know, Viz saying, let's try Jose. I think it's just... People um, demanding it? Teenage girls not even demanding it, because they're not titles that I think came in with any sort of pre-existing awareness. I think it's that... Jose is not really about sex, though. Like, it's interesting because when shoujo smut started happening in a big way, you know, like Shinjo Mayu and everything, uh, that wasn't Jose. Jose is not No, that's true. Yeah. It's shoujo smut. Like, that's high school. That's also another type of stigma. I think a lot of people look at it's shoujo if it has no sex. And a lot of people are like, it's Jose if it's shoujo with sex. Because now it's for grownups. Really? Because like, I, I it's hear like, that a lot. They're really separate. Really? Oh, yeah. I don't yeah, look I was going to say, way. like, Blackbird, I, which definitely has, like, the attractive factor and the sex factor is still definitely shoujo. Like, that is not that a Jose comic. That was like a Twilight comic, honestly. When I read that, I was like, wow, this is for that particular audience. I love it. Like, <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> I really like Blackbird. Maybe that's also um, a problem is that maybe people expect, oh, if it's for adult women, it should have more sex. But a lot of Jose is, doesn't have any sex or it, like it barely you know it just goes to face of black right. kind of thing which I think is kind of like that's sort of what makes it interesting for well maybe not like the romance reading audience necessarily but like but closer because I think that sort of like tasteful fade to black is something that just makes it a little more accessible to a wide readership like there's people yeah. who are still really put off by stuff that gets too explicit mm-hmm. so and I think the manga audience because of like the way the mature rating works in the, the states like I found this when I was working on boys love is that the worst thing you can do is have like a mature title that needs to be really uh, rated mature but that like doesn't have enough explicit sex in it mm. like if all you have is like one scene that sort of shows like part of a penis right. yeah people are going to read that and be really disappointed it's like if you're mm-hmm. going to buy an m title it's like you want a certain level of graphic content yeah to kind of go along with it the um, dreaded 16 plus rating you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> yeah well i mean you know that you're not gonna get penis because <laughs> <laughs> the second you have penis then or like people like obviously fucking that has no, to be I've, mature i, I have so. to say that and a lot of uh, boys love, especially from digital manga publishing. They're 16 plus. They have squeaked in some stuff. <laughs> I think that's probably why they, well, I don't know. Because, like, maybe maybe the buyers just weren't as, like, particular with that for them for whatever reason. But that's definitely something that we would get really kind of reamed for at Tokyo Pop was, like, trying to sneak something in like that. Would you apply for a rating and then they would read through it, or how does that work? We would say a rating when we were selling something in. So, like, okay. when, when we had sales sheets and stuff, we'd have to decide the rating to go okay. with the sales sheets. And then if it's, like, wrong, then you get in a bunch of crap with the yeah, if, if Yeah, basically. So if someone comes back later and is like, there's no, like, set standard for what gets rated what. It's all sort of company by company deciding what community standards are going to be. And, like, we made a big effort to consolidated at one point within Tokyo Pops that like we were all kind of on the same page about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a very kind of it's sort of the honor system. Mm. And and the penalty is high because the penalty is basically like if you screw it up and you say something is going to be older teen and it turns out it should have been rated mature, the booksellers won't buy in more of that series. Yeah. So yeah. if you sell in volume one and then volume two has to be mature, they're going to be like, well, sorry, too bad for you. 
So you're really like hurting yourself on the back end. So like the motivation for getting that right is pretty high. Mm -hmm. So you also you can see the pressure to kind of rate a little lower if you think you can get away with it, because a lot of bookstores won't stock, especially for manga, older material, because it's predominantly children and young teens who are in those sections. And there is, again, the stigma that everything that is manga is for children. So you will have parents who will pick up something like Midnight Secretary and then they'll be like, oh, my God, they're like kissing and touching together. Um, and yeah. plus, when then they have to be in plastic wrap, and it is much harder to sell something in, that's in plastic wrap. People can't flip right. through it. Mm-hmm. They're either there for it specifically, or they know the creator, or they're just someone who liked the cover, read the synopsis, and said, you know what, I'll give it a try. Yeah. Most readers with you know a little bit of disposable income don't buy on that kind of blind faith, and right, a plastic right. wrapped mature title forces them to do that. Yeah. Right. Well, and even, like, in big big bookstores, you'll have separate sections for, like, kids, comics, manga, and then, like, graphic novels. So if, mm-hmm. and there's way more people going and buying stuff from the kids stuff than the adult stuff. So if you can get it young enough that it goes on the kids, then you'll have probably better sales. Because you'll also have people going there being like, I know my nephew likes comics, but I don't know what. So I'll just go and pick something pretty. Yeah. And to, and in big stores, that really bothers me. Like I under, I think it's important to have a section that is kid appropriate and not, um, especially when you have something like manga and comics that is so vast. It's a medium. So you're going to have all spectrums. Yeah. But it drives me nuts like when I go to a local like chapters, like a big bookstore here in the East, when they have like their manga section, which has the majority of it, but it doesn't have things like Naruto, Pokemon, yeah. um, Full Metal Alchemist, Sailor Moon. Those are in the children's section yeah. for, t- mm-hmm. for 12 and under. But those are like really big titles. And those ones are fortunate because they're big enough that people will go looking for them because mm-hmm. they're not in a section labeled manga kids. It's just comics for kids. So they're there with all the English comics as well, which is again, totally right. fine to be with them. However, people looking for them don't know to go there and while people who are like i want naruto and sailor moon they know those titles well enough to go looking for them but it does a really big disservice to the manga that is for kids but that isn't as well known Mm -hmm. because people aren't going to go find the kids section to discover them they're looking where all the rest of the manga is right right man the retail sector is just it's a pain so where is this i'm actually on the viz manga website where are their new romance comics well i was thinking of stuff like midnight secretary so which let me see if they have it now i'm looking it up too (laughs) (laughs) oh it's all these things that have mature on them maybe okay yeah butterflies you know it's interesting i guess it's true that sometimes when i would look on um i have a membership to an online japanese bookstore that where you can get like ebooks for Mm -hmm. manga and they have a section now that's like you know shoujo seinen jose and at first Mm -hmm. i was like oh i feel like something smutty or whatever so i look in jose and it's like no it's like all about ols whatever like and their troubles at work and stuff no right what you really need to find is like now they're calling it um teens love or something i don't know it's like a one of those mm. new mm-hmm. terms that mm-hmm. means shoujo smut because mm-hmm. even the art is like it's yeah it's pretty shoujo but it's money well we've been talking for a while now so like oh, yeah. and i think we've kind of wandered around the topics that we <laughs> meant to talk about so mm-hmm. is there anything else anybody wants to sort of add to the conversation I feel like adding would just spiral off into whole other conversations. <laughs> this is, this is the kind of, like as someone who's been like reading comics and manga like to an honestly obsessive level for years, like as a consumer, like I don't read scanlations or anything. I just read what's published in English, mm. but I have only recently learned to control my buying habits. Um, <laughs> But now also working in a store where I am selling comics of all kinds to people and of all ages, this is the whole idea of marketing to people and how to sell it to them is like, you could go on it forever. Like, there's so much mm-hmm. about it. I will but say... Like, and it's also super different now than it used to be, which is mind-blowing. maybe? In a lot of ways, yes. Definitely very good. In other ways, you just watch us creeping backwards and it's... Yeah. I w- I'll say that... 
I wish, I don't know how they would do it, but I wish they would bring some over of those more accessible, more maybe everyday Jose manga. Like, mm. one of my favorite authors is Makimura Satoru, who does, like, I find her art, I think it's pretty. Um, it's definitely mm-hmm. different than, like, you know, pretty shoujo with, like, flowers and frills and everything. But it's very elegant, I find. And mm-hmm. it has, like, dramas that they could, like, tie in. I wish they would go that instead of just being like, oh, we're going to do, you know, shoujo stuff. And then we're going to jump right to, like, smut. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like smut, cool. but I don't want that all to be there. I think you're going to see a lot more diversity, as we already have been, because of the growth of digital manga. It's getting, in many ways, yeah. more affordable for them to take risks on titles. So. Um, actually, the, uh, Digital Manga Guild... I want won't go into what I feel about the logistics of how they pay people, etc., etc. However, they have or some of the best. People. Yes, they have some of the best Jose that oh. has come out in English. Uh-huh. They have a series by like the creator who did um, Wandering Sun. Mm-hmm. That's all about like older women and relationships and stuff. Really. And, and they have another title called something about hands. I don't know. It's like a thirty-year-old woman who has psychic powers with her hands and solves crimes, but she's just Ooh. like a regular woman. Like they have huh. a whole bunch that I have bought and read, and they were fantastic. But oh. they get lost in this giant right. assortment of mostly boys love and hand. Die. I but just, like, but I just digital manga it. just allows that. I've never heard of this before. So every see every podcast we do, I'm like, whoa, look at all these cool sites. But no, um, like that is something that I want. Like I, one of those things I regret about like when I stopped writing for Curiosity is the Jose and other t- really really good titles out there that I swear to God yeah. I'm the only one who's ever read it aside from the people who translated it. <laughs> well, I just so found a title good. on there that I didn't think anybody ever knew about. It was in the magazine that Planet Ladder was in, which had a really short run. Like I have all the volumes of this magazine because it was so short and I don't think anything from there would survive past like Planet Ladder yeah. so that's kind of amazing but yeah like go onto their site um, eManga and just look at some of the Jose and other titles they have, and you will find some amazing gems on there. Do you have any specific recommendations? I'm looking them up so I know the exact names to give you. Because okay. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Sorry, I open up the page, and the first thing is Vagina Manifesto, Sexless Friend, and Boston Metaphysical something. Metaphysical I know, and I'm like, you go, you, go to the, you go to that site, and I'm like, and all you see is mostly the porn, and I'm like, no, there's really good stuff buried <laughs> under the porn. Yeah. The whole thing with um, when Lisa was talking about, is it Vertigo or... Or who gives the creators their vertigo um, the rights? Yeah, and I was like, yeah, we do. Uh, I was talking about I was talking about Image Comics. Image, like, yeah. the ones, oh, they image, do, sorry. They do yeah. Saga and, and Wicked Divine and right. a lot of amazing titles. Yeah, Digital Manga Guild is their kind of title for who's putting like who's translating and lettering it and all that. And then eManga is their digital manga site where they release them to actually be read. Does either of you ever try those Harlequin comics? Because I bought one or a couple, <laughs> and I was like, I've worked on a bunch. <laughs> this is weird. I don't know because they're translated from English, right? And then yes, and then they just get a manga artist to like write. So it's yeah, they do like these odd. 120 page adaptations in Japanese, and then they yeah. you know did the manga and released it in whatever year, and then it's getting mm-hmm. translated back now, like 20 to 10 to 20 years later. Yeah, well, and even the ones that at least the ones that I ever saw were like all the chic ones in the desert where there's like a blonde lady and like a chic and it's like most of mine seem to involve like greek billionaires yeah well you know maybe they're getting out of the chic now they're moving into like 10 years ago instead of 20 years ago it was actually really interesting so like i've probably worked on about almost 20 of them in the past year because they tend to come in like giant batches and i very consistently like the ones that were done before the year 2000 oh yeah um like the ones that are after the year 2000, I find like significantly less interesting for whatever reason. And like just the art's not quite as, as unusual and like mm-hmm. the story is not quite as compelling. Yeah, they Whereas definitely the older had a ones look. are a little more like 
kind of diverse in terms of like what what the plots are about like they're less about kind of the the billionaire mm-hmm. you know meets the virgin kind of stuff mm-hmm. like the art styles are more interesting it's it's consistently the case that those seem to be the ones that i really enjoy working on whereas the other ones feel like more of a slog mm-hmm. it's like how is 120 pages that doesn't actually have that much text on it takes so fucking long <laughs> to edit <laughs> Because, I mean, they do almost, at least all the ones I've seen are contemporary or kind of contemporary. But it's funny because I read Harlequins. I actually got into kind of an argument at work at lunchroom about how Harlequins were good and better than Fifty Shades of Grey. But but the ones that I've read are almost all historical romances. Mm -hmm. So... It's interesting to me because I'm I'm used to Harlequins, but when I saw the manga ones, they're all the contemporary ones, of, which I'm not used to. They've done a couple historical manga translations, but not very many. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like there's a lot around either. Like, I still haven't bought Emma, which I really want to buy. Emma's coming out again, though. Is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's good. Yeah, I think they're re-releasing it in, like, Omnibus. Oh, Yen is? I mean, it must be Yen. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure it's Yen Press doing it. Interesting. I think e-manga must have picked up all of the Crimson titles ever because I'm seeing all of them here. Huh. Cool. I'll have to buy some of these. <laughs> some of those... It was an interesting magazine, but some... Like, Planet Ladder... I even had a fan website for this. This is a million years ago. Uh-huh. But I still barely understood it. I should read the English version and see if I'm actually correct in what I... Yeah, it yeah. Needs to be the story. Did maybe Leanne just liked it, but... She, I thought maybe she worked on it, didn't she? Yeah, Am I, I making don't that know. up? Uh... I know. Did she maybe work on um, Shonen Mahoshi? You know, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I know well, she, I liked she likes about both of those. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, so yeah, stuff. I'm trying really hard women. to like to find these titles that I really want on the site, <laughs> but it's like the worst navigation. God, like, it's terrible. The sorting system is yeah. terrible. I, the only one I can remember the title for is um, Happy Go Lucky Days, which is by Takako Shimura, the same one who did Wandering Sun. Okay. Um, there's And they're like anthologies, and there's two books of it, and I thought they were fantastic. Did you say Happy Go Lucky Days? Yeah. Is it under... See, like, I hate some of these, like, categories that they put on because they're not... They do have, like, a Jose category, and has a lot of them in it. Um, most of it is their Harlequin stuff, and there is actually okay. some of their Harlequin manga that are pretty good. Oh. Um, they're all entertaining, because they're all trashy as heck. Oh, um, but, just, but some are a little better than others, but yeah, there's just so much of it. But yeah, I feel like this is a, a big collection of these titles that mm. most people don't know exists. Mm-hmm. Mm. Cool. Yeah, like I remember I had just found J-Manga when they stopped. And I was like, oh man, because they were having, they had some Jose stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that was another bad, bad website. Nice. Looks like they've got a Kindle edition. Cool. Is there anything that we forgot? Oh, we didn't really talk about, like, one of the things we mentioned in the last podcast was the media. The media that covers comics usually ignores manga, or Western comics, I should say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't so, really know why. I have Com- a like, theory about really- that, <laughs> which is that I think there's a generation gap. And I was, so I was at a friend's, like, birthday drinks last night, and he's, he's in marketing at DC now. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, bo- a lot of, like, geeks and, like, comic book industry people there and i was talking to a girl about this who was i think she was 25 and i was talking to a guy who's a couple years older than me at the same time and he's like yeah it's really frustrating you know i dug up this issue of like wizard world from 1998 and it was kind of going through like anime and manga 101 like what does shonen mean what does shoujo mean and he's like it's depressing that almost 20 years later we're still having that same conversation a lot of the Mm -hmm. time like Mm -hmm. there's still all these people out there who sort of haven't picked it up yet And I turned to the girl next to me and I was like, I think it's really different for people who are like half a generation below me who grew up completely with Pokemon. Mm. So it wasn't like my generation where 
you know, Ranma and Sailor Moon were kind of like the gateway mm-hmm. drugs yeah. at, you know, when you're in middle school or high school, it's when you're six, you get into Pokemon and then you kind of never stop. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, it's like, I've never been that much of a manga fan, but I totally know what those terms mean. Mm. And so I think that it's taken longer than I sort of expected to, but like the idea of the generation that's really grown up with that stuff kind of, I've seen it from, from artists who I work with integrated into their style in a really different way. Yeah. I just, I think that we're still maybe another five or 10 years away from the, those people kind of taking over the dialogue a little bit more. Cause right. I feel like the dialogue is so dominated by particularly men in their late thirties and early forties. Um, oh, I think they may be even older. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, even even the people who I think are are kind of get it, like people like Chris Butcher. Um, oh, OK. Yeah. You know, they're they're kind of in that age bracket. Yeah. So I think there's a generational shift that's happened, but it hasn't fully kicked into kind of who's controlling the dialogue yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it will eventually. Well, and I wonder, because we were mentioning also the like web comics and independent mm-hmm. comics on there. Like, do you think they'll come along with the same time or do you think they might be a little later? Or do you think they're no? I think they probably will. I think I think that's a good point. And like maybe some of it is that like the conversation is so decentralized now. Mm -hmm. And like that's the other thing is that it used to be that it seemed like most people got their news and information about manga from Anime News Network and Anime on DVD and like the sort of the blogosphere. And I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. I think they're kind of getting it through. You know, it's always been that kind of friend to friend, word to mouth, uh, word of mouth uh, Mm -hmm. interaction, but. You know, it's the places like Tumblr and Twitter and these sort of more individualistic, sort of less centralized forms that are kind of driving the taste making trends. And so I think that that's it evolved a little faster, but I think it's also harder to control and direct. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. Particularly since, like, we need that to happen sooner rather than later for us as a company. (laughs) Pay attention to us. Yeah, this this is very relevant for (laughs) for fans of Sparklers. How to get the word out on exciting new content. Mm-hmm. I think also it's like a mixed bag because on one hand, I feel like a lot of sites don't kind of cover everything because there's too much. Like yeah, manga that's... manga and comics, like just trying a site, just trying to cover what Marvel and DC does alone is right. near impossible. Yeah. But that mixed with what is coming out from Image Comics, all the indie comics, Bloom Studios, you know, there are, well, there's so many different comic editors. And then you have all the manga and then you have all the web comics, which there are phenomenal ones out there. And you're getting a lot more in print because of things like Kickstarter. There's too much. And I find that a lot of people then they have to, by necessity, focus on things. And I mm-hmm. feel like the people who are the most ravenously attached to something like manga are younger. And so they're not and they're also a younger audience and they're not the ones who care about reading every press release. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and picking out every word like the people who are into Marvel and DC who tend to be older um, mm-hmm. and so not only is the, there's the market for the material but I don't think there's the same market for the news um, most people not most but a lot of manga readers don't even know what is licensed until they happen right. to find yeah. it on a bookshelf and they're like oh my right. god I've been reading Naruto illegally online for years I didn't know it mm-hmm. has been licensed and been coming out right. in English for like over 10 years mm-hmm. right um, and yeah so I think just the the market for that kind of stuff is very different but on the other hand it then creates a vicious cycle where you're never going to get manga into a new market's hands because mm-hmm. you're not you're not promoting it to them. So I think news and editorial has the same problem that the companies themselves do. They don't cross pollinate mm-hmm. very much. Mm-hmm. The good news is there's so many comics out there. The bad yeah, news is that's true. It's, it's impossible to cover it all. I mean, it's funny. Like you know, the, actually over the weekend I had two different sort of sets of conversations about people who 
were sort of comics related and who knew about Sparkler, who I've talked to about Sparkler previously. And they're like, oh, how's it going? You know, what's going on? I'm like, blah, blah, blah. You know, this is where we are. This is what's happening. And they're like, oh, that sounds really cool. I still haven't had a chance to check it out yet. And I'm like, this is kind of a bummer that like even people who are my friends, (laughs) (laughs) you know, who I interact with on kind of a professional level, like they haven't had a chance to just look through what I've been doing for the last year and a half of my life. Well, I mean, like there, and I say this not as someone who works in a a comic store because it's kind of the same but separate. I mean, I promote books and yeah. companies and things that I've never read because they stand for something that I really like or yeah. they look really cool or it's come very highly recommended and sounds like something someone would like. And it's not that I don't want to read it. It's just I haven't sure. gotten to it yet. Like there's no yeah. time. I've no, got to sacrifice no my body next I, to me. I'm very sympathetic to that. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm. it's frustrating. But at the same time, it's like I want to go out there and support stuff like Squirrel Girl. And, you know, I want to catch up on Miss Marvel. And I haven't had a chance to do that either. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, I say put your money where your mouth is. But that goes for me, too. So. Yeah. Like sometimes I'm buying stuff that I know I won't have time to read in the next like six months. Like I bought Miss Marvel at least two months ago and I finally just read it. And it's it's small, right? Like it's a graphic novel. It's like a hundred yeah, pages. Yeah. And yet it took me this long to even do it. But there's just too much good stuff. <laughs> there's there's a wealth of options. So it's like it's a good problem to have, but it's just it's frustrating when you're trying to make a living or yes. like <laughs> yeah. you're not personally making a living at all, but you want to keep paying other people to make stuff for you. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, Any closing thoughts? I think the trends of the industry are going in really interesting directions all around. And I'm I'm both glad to not be working directly for either a big manga publisher or one of the mainstream comics people right now. But I'm excited to watch what's happening. Happy to be doing my own thing. That's my two cents. Go read Excalibur. It's the best. Yeah. Is it? Are there collected Editions? There are, okay. there are. Okay. I've I've stumbled across them a couple of times in uh in my local comic book store and have debated picking them up. I basically own the entire series already, so it's like, mm, yeah, no. Is, is um, it Marvel? It's Marvel. Okay. Yeah. See, so like these basic things, I just don't know. I'm like, because they're in totally different sections in the comic book store, right? So yeah, yeah. So. It's yeah. also bear in mind there's been multiple series by Marvel called Excalibur. You want the original that yes. has like Nightcrawler and Captain Britain and Kitty and all them yes. in it. Okay. Yes. Nightcrawler look, looking like a pirate. Kitty Pride in her awesome pop collar jacket. Yep. That's the Excalibur <laughs> one. Cool. Yeah. Rachel Summers in her like creepy like slave bondage outfit that's simultaneously like sexualized and super badass. All right. So wow. I love it. I, see, I'm lucky because I have good comic book stores near me. So if I go and tell them that, they will be like, yes, yeah. you want this one. Well, I mean, you I guess. You probably want to buy like two volumes as well because like. It goes on this weird sort of derailment from like issues, I think, 12 through probably 25. And then it gets really good again at issue 30 or so. So, yeah, you need to kind of read that opening bit and then skip to where Alan Davis takes over writing as well as doing the art. (laughs) You could probably just cut that out of the actual (laughs) podcast. My closing remarks is I wish we could see, and I think we will eventually, more cross-pollination of advertising. I want to see things like manga or comics in general that older women would enjoy. And that is a very general statement because women are human beings and we like everything from all spectrums. Uh, But I want to see stuff like that discussed in like uh, a magazine that is all about book reviews Mm -hmm. or in book clubs. I want to see stuff like that happen. Just like I want to see manga and comics in general advertised or reviewed on occasion in some of the many teen magazines that are still on the shelf Mm -hmm. um, that are bought or on the, you know, TV shows on like Disney XD or any of those that aim at like 12 to 13 year olds. 
I want to see that material put out there to the places where kids and teens and women and men and people of all ages are still actively looking for material, new material to enjoy. And comics mm-hmm. are just not there. I want comics to be something you can stumble on and not have to go hunt for. You're here. Well, I think that is enough for us. Thank you. And we hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you have any follow-up questions or if you have other topics that you want us to do. And uh... Yeah, because we're going to try and do a podcast similar to this one on a more or less monthly basis. Mm-hmm. And then this will just be kind of a general site feature. And then if we do something special like bring in Jen Quick or another creator, that'll be something that we would do as a member exclusive. So you can expect to have more of these kind of casual chats in the future. So tell us what you want us to talk about. Yes, we need more topics. Because <laughs> we, can, we can talk forever about almost anything. About absolutely nothing. Yes. Yeah, I, I can't believe I actually said I was worried about silences in this. <laughs> I guess... Like, have you met us? Yeah, it's like... We're, whatever... we're coming up on two hours, and that's only because we're cutting ourselves off. I know. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, whoever is not here, the rest will just fill the silence. So. Yeah. Okay. So thank you, and say goodbye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Please goodbye. Bye. The <laughs> say they had that I, I actually really liked was called Your Gentle Hand. It's just two lines long. Mm-hmm.